All right, so for those of you who haven't been here for the last uh, few weeks, uh, we've been talking about what we believe as a denomination or what we believe as an organization. And we're called the Christian and Missionary Alliance, and we're uh, just one church, a part of many other churches in the United States and around our world that represent this organization. Now, in our organization, what we've been covering for the last four weeks uh, have been just our core beliefs, what really guides what we do, what really guides uh, what decisions we make, how we spend our money, and, and all of those things. Now, as I mentioned in the past, uh, A.B. Simpson, who's our, our founder, uh, he came up with a phrase called the fourfold gospel that uh, really um, tells us uh, everything that there is to believe uh, in the Christian faith. Now, obviously, there are other little things that some people might differ on, uh, other beliefs that we have, but these are the four main truths uh, that we hold near and dear to our hearts. So it's called the fourfold gospel. Now, A.B. Simpson, what he wanted to do when he came up with this phrase, he was trying to fulfill the Great Commission. Now, I've quoted that every week so far, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all I've commanded you. And look, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So that was Jesus's last command to his disciples. Uh, but that command also applies to today. Something that we take to heart. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's something that you should be living out in your life as well. And so he came up with this phrase while he was trying to minister to people in New York City, uh, this fourfold gospel, and basically goes like this, that Jesus is our savior, Jesus is our sanctifier, Jesus is our healer, and Jesus is our coming king, which is the last one we're going to talk about today. Now, when we talked about Jesus as our savior, we talked about how Jesus is the only path to God. He's the only exclusive savior that we have in the world. Now, in that time, uh, there were a lot of other pagan gods. You know, when Jesus was around, there were a lot of pagan gods, a lot of other paths that people thought they could take to find contentment and find happiness in this world. But Jesus made a really radical claim in that time. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And that claim, it, it still applies to today. And in our world, we live in a culture that tells us that there are many paths to God. There's many paths to contentment and happiness in this world. But Jesus still makes that claim today that he is the only way to God. And so that's what we talked about when we started this. And we talked about Jesus as our sanctifier. That Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, not only just lives in us, but also lives through us. So that our actions, our attitudes, our responses to things in our lives, are, they mirror exactly what kind of responses Jesus would have in those same situations. Uh, and so it's basically becoming more and more like Jesus, being set apart from sin in this world and being set apart to God uh, so that now our lives are directed by God himself and not by what this culture tells us that we should be living by. Then last week, we talked about Jesus as our healer. A lot of people who believe that miracles uh, or people being healed miraculously, that it doesn't happen today, that it was only something that happened in the Bible, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Uh, but we firmly believe that Jesus still heals people in our day and in our time. Uh, you know, there's evidence of that all around the world and in, probably in some of the lives of people that you all know where people were healed miraculously by God. And then tonight we're talking about the very last thing, uh, Jesus as our coming king. And so I'll, we'll talk about what all that means as we go through the rest of the message today. Uh, but like I like to do all the time is to start out with a question. And this question, you can give me your responses and we'll take a couple of those. You don't, you don't have to be very 
Uh, it's just very be, be, be brief about it. You know, don't give me a long explanation. Um, but the question is this. What do you hope for? Now, I want to make a clarification here is that hoping is not wishful thinking. So if you say, you know, the Super Bowl is tomorrow and if you care about it, you might say, well, I hope the Eagles win or I hope the Patriots win. Right. Or someone might tell you, well, I hope you have a good day. Right. Well, that's really just wishful thinking because there's nothing in any of that. Whenever you say those things that guarantees that the Eagles are going to win or the Patriots are going to win or you're actually going to have a good day. So there's no there, there, there's no certainty whenever we say that. So that's that's kind of wishful thinking. And so what do you really hope for in life? So we'll take a few of those uh, responses. Okay. 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 I hope that someday my daughter and I will be reconciled Okay. All right. Anybody else? What do you hope for? Well, we'll take one more. people around you okay was somebody gonna say something over here no goodness okay um so no matter who you are you know based on those responses alone uh we all have hopes we all hope things will turn out a certain way in our life now that's a little different from our expectations that we talked about last week so i'll try to make that distinction as we as we go along but we have all these hopes uh some of these hopes we have for our life we hope that our life will just be good in general like we hope that we have a good life. We also hope maybe things for our family. We hope that uh, our kids will, will follow Jesus. We hope that they'll do great in school. We hope that our kids will uh, make friends in school. But we also hope even at other parts of our families, like we want to be a good parent to our kids. Or we hope that we can be a good spouse to our husband and wife uh, if, if we're married now or if we get married in the future, uh, that we can be good spouses to them. Uh, and so overall, we all have hopes. Everybody has different kinds of hopes in their lives. Depending on what life stage that you're actually in, you always hope for something. So when you think about all of your hopes, uh, what confidence do you actually have that those things may actually turn out in your life? And if it doesn't happen in your life, how are you sure or certain that you can actually still go on in your life? So think about all of your hopes. You know, last week we talked about our expectations. We talked about how expectations, we have those on ourselves. We have those on other people. We also have those on life in general. And because of our expectations, a lot of times we have really negative expectations. We have low expectations. We have unreasonable expectations. And we also have bad expectations. Uh, And so because we do that, we often do that. We end up being disappointed. We end up feeling regret. We end up feeling anger. Because life isn't how we expected it to be. People will let you down. You will let yourself down. And so expectations aren't always a good thing to have uh, in our lives. And so when we think about our own hopes uh, and our own dreams, what do we really place our hope in? I'm not asking that as a question for you to answer. Just kind of answer within your own mind. You know, I think our tendency is to place our hope really in ourselves. You know, we place it in our intelligence. 
You know, we've, gone to, we've done so much school. Some of the people in here are PhDs. You have master's degrees, bachelor's degrees, and most people have graduated from high school. And so we believe that we've studied so much so we can rely on our intelligence. Maybe we feel that we're emotionally strong or mentally strong, and so we can get through any crisis that comes into our life. Or maybe we place our hope in our job. Or maybe we place it in money. You know, the more we work, all the money that we accumulate, that will be fine as long as we have all this money uh, in the bank. Now, I don't say this next thing to seem to make it all hopeless, but eventually all of those things are going to run out. All of those things are going to fade away. Now, you look at your job. People lose jobs all the time. Money always runs out. And so if it doesn't run out in the time you're here on this earth, when you die, you're not taking it anywhere uh, with you. And even with our own intelligence, I mean, there's going to be a point in your life where you're going to make, get to a fork in the road where you have to make a, a decision between two things and you're not going to know what to do. And there'll be another time where maybe a crisis will actually happen in your life. And when that, that, that time comes, you're, you're going to think, I can do this on my own, but you're not going to have the strength to be able to do it. Now, Jesus seemed to imply in his Sermon on the Mount Now, this is his most famous teaching in Matthew, the book of Matthew, chapter five, six and seven. And in that teaching, he seemed to imply to all of us that all the pain, all the discontentment, all the worry that we have in this life is all because we place our hope in the wrong things. And so he calls his disciples and even called he calls each and every one of us, whether we're followers of Jesus or not, to quit placing our hope in the things of this world, because they are going to fade away. And instead, we're supposed to place our trust in him. And now there's obviously a lot of things that we hope for, you know, a lot of things that we hope for sort of on a smaller scale in life. But if you look at our our world, there are other things that we hope for as well. Now, all of us hope for some sense of justice in our world. You look around our world, there's a lot of people getting away with murder, a lot of people getting away with wronging certain people or even wronging you. You know, you even look at kids, you know, where, this, where we have this sort of inner sense of justice to, to sort of make things right. You, you talk to a kid who maybe got hit by another kid and he hit the other one back and you say, well, why did you hit the other kid in the first place? Well, because he hit me first. And so there's this inner sense within each of us that we want things to be made right. Even though kids may go at it at the wrong way, and we may be at, at some points want to get back at other people, there's that sense within us that we want justice to be served in our world. And we also maybe hope for peace in our world. There's this inner sense within us that we want people to live in harmony with each other. No more fighting, no more wars, or no more arguing or anything like that. You, know, you think of someone like Martin Luther King Jr., you know, who desired for, uh, for people no longer to be segregated, uh, to live in peace and harmony with each other. He didn't see that in his lifetime, but that's something certainly that he hoped for. And we see a bit of that here today where, where we're, we're no longer being separated like that anymore. And so there's a lot of things that we hope for. But when we look at those two things, even just justice and peace, what are those things grounded in? What, we hope for those things, but what are they grounded in? We look at governments, we say, okay, well, they can make everything right. But there's a lot of governments out there that are corrupt. There are a lot of governments that kill their own people. There are a lot of governments, if you look through world history, 
you find that there are a lot of empires who have come, that, have come, that have come, have reigned for a while, and then they went away, <coughs> faded away. Or maybe we look at people. Maybe we can place our hope in people around us. But the fact is that there's a 100% chance that you are going to die, right? And so we will all pass away. So we can't really place our hope on something of this world. Our hope has to be placed on something beyond ourselves, namely a person, uh, namely Jesus. And now what we're going to look at tonight has the, the hope of Jesus in mind. And where we find ourselves in the story is 40 days after Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Now, what this is usually called, it's called the ascension. And this is where Jesus, after he's resurrected for after 40 days, and he goes up into heaven and he goes to the right hand of God and he resides in heaven with God. And so what we find is that the disciples are sitting at a mountaintop and they're being taught by this man, Jesus, who they saw 40 days ago or 43 days ago being crucified on a cross and then being resurrected from the dead. And he's now teaching them and giving them one final teaching before he leaves from this earth. And one of the things he tells them in his last command is that he wants them to be witnesses. He says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which is where they were. Judea, Samaria, which was a little bit further out than that. And then to the ends of the earth, which included the entire globe. And so Jesus gives them that command. And then he uh, ascends into heaven. And then two angels appear in front of all these disciples. And, they te- and he t- these angels tell them that in the same way you saw Jesus leave, he's going to come back again. And so that's, that, that was their hope. And that's also our hope as well. That Jesus is going to come back again. And when Jesus comes back, he's going to reign on this earth forever and forever And as I said before, that's really hard for us to imagine because our minds are finite. We can't imagine things going on forever and forever. We also can't imagine a time where there's complete peace and there's complete and perfect peace and perfect justice on this earth. But that's what God promises us in the time coming when Jesus comes back to this earth. And one of the most powerful verses we find in the Bible is it tells about when Jesus is coming back is Revelation chapter 21 that says, When Jesus comes back, he's going to wipe away every tear. There's going to be no more death, no more pain, no more crying, because he's going to make everything brand new. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about what this hope really means for us. And so we're going to start by reading in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. So you've got your your Bibles, and if you don't, the words are actually going to be on the screen. All right, starting in verse 1, Acts chapter 1. It says, in my former book, and so in the former book, he's talking about the book of Luke, which is right before this, and sometimes people see it as one book. Uh, So in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, 
Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now, I don't know how it is in other places in this world, but I think I can speak for Western culture. But it seems like Western culture, like we're really fascinated uh, with sort of the end of the world. You know, we have so many movies about the end of the world. We have so many people talking about when the world is actually going to end. You know, for example, you know, there's movie 2012. I don't know if you've seen it before. But basically, it's about the end of the Mayan calendar, and people speculated that the world was going to end on December 21st, 2012. And obviously, we're like five, six years removed from that. And it was just a normal day on the calendar. Oh, it was Lauren's birthday. Oh, it was Lauren's birthday. And Larry's. And Larry's. Oh, there you go. There you go. And there was another movie called Armageddon that, that, had all, that talked about this asteroid that was going to come to Earth and it was going to destroy the entire planet. And so all these astronauts were getting together to fly up to the asteroid to land on it, put bombs in it and make it explode. And they ended up doing that and it split and went around the Earth. And so we, we, we uh, avoided catastrophe uh, on our planet. Now, we're also, we also have something called the doomsday clock is what we have. Now, these American scientists, they come together and they talk about how it is that we're harming our environment or they look at nuclear threat in our world and they say, this is how close we are to actually ending the world. And so currently we're about two minutes away from midnight. And so I'm not sure what happens once it strikes, once they put it on midnight, if the world actually ends or whatever. But they're, they, we're really fascinated you know, with the end of the world or what that's really going to look like. Now, when we bring that to Christianity, there are people who have been really fascinated with Jesus coming back to this earth again. There was a website I read that they said there was like 242 dates that people have come up with when Jesus was actually going to come back to this earth. Another website said there's at least 50 people with some following. So not just 50 ordinary people, but 50 people with some following uh, who have claimed to say the date of when Jesus was going to come back again. Now, if you look at all of those dates, a lot of those dates have actually passed and they were just normal, regular dates on the calendar. And, and so we're really fascinated with it. But I think the reason why a lot of people are getting it wrong is because they're trying to predict something that Jesus himself didn't even know. And Jesus said he didn't know the day or the hour of when he was actually going to return. So there was no indication of like, here's the exact date I'm going to come. But he often talked about it as, uh, as something that was going to come like a thief in the night. Uh, so something that we always had to be ready for. We always had to be looking for an anticipation for the second coming of Jesus. And so we're reserved to doing that. We're reserved to waiting because nobody knows the date. Nobody knows the hour. So all we do is wait. But again, wait in anticipation of when he's coming back again. Now, this hope that we have of Jesus coming back again, it also doesn't come without any expectations. You know, you look back at the early time in the Bible with the early Jews, and when they expected in the first coming of Jesus, 
was they were expecting a Messiah that was going to come and he was going to set them free from the Romans. He was going to deliver them from the oppressive Roman people. Uh, That's what they thought this Messiah was going to do. But Jesus came and he redeemed and saved his people in a totally different way, a, a way that they didn't expect. Now, when we think about the second coming of Jesus, when he's coming back again, there are a lot of people who, who still speculate on what this is all going to look like. You know, you read throughout the Bible and maybe you can say, well, this is probably going to happen. This country is this country. This is that and the other. But, but I don't know if we should be arguing about what that actually is going to look like. I think we should just sit here and be, be anticipating when he's actually going to return. Now, one thing that Jesus did tell us, and he tells us in Matthew chapter 24, 4 through 7, it says, Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And so he talks to us about the atmosphere or the environment in which we're going to be in before Jesus comes back again. And so those are the things we can look out for. He didn't give us really anything very specific to look for. He didn't give us a specific date to look out for either. And so regardless of what you think the end of the world is going to look like, I think there's one thing or one truth that we all have to affirm, and that is, is that Jesus is coming back again. At some point in the future, Jesus is going to return to this earth, once again to reign forever and forever. Now, one of the interesting things I found that, uh, that a lot of people used to do in ancient times, uh, they used to, when they greeted each other, they used to say Maranatha, which was like the Lord is coming. And so they used to greet each other uh, sort of in that way. Now, in that time and probably now, when someone says that or you hear that word, you know, the Lord is coming or God is coming, I, I think we can feel one of two ways. I think people might have even felt like uh, sort of terrified by that fact. And if I were to tell you today, and if I knew for certain that Jesus was coming back or something, I wouldn't know. But if someone happened to know that Jesus was coming back at the next hour or so, and he said, Jesus is coming back, or Jesus is coming, the Lord is coming. I think at first we might feel terrified. Some of us might feel terrified. Because what that means is that we now come face to face with our creator. Whether or not we believe he is our creator, we, become, we come face to face with him and then have to answer or be accountable for every action we've ever done that is contrary to what God wanted us to do or what we do against other people. And so we're held accountable for those things. So for some of us, we might feel very terrified when we hear that. But for some of us, I think we also feel very comforted when we know that Jesus is coming back again. Because what that means is that we can experience more than just true happiness and true contentment. It means that we can also experience perfect peace, perfect justice, and perfect joy. But I think those kinds of things are really hard to imagine. You know, because we still live in a world where we don't have any of those things that are perfect. We have some semblance of it. We have a, a small image of what it might become. But we don't have the full picture of what God intends to do on this earth. You know, because we think about having joy, perfect joy. But there's always something in our life that causes us to be unhappy, that causes us to be discontent. We think about perfect justice. That doesn't exist in our world. You know, we have court systems that are corrupt. We have uh, people who are getting away with various uh, atrocious acts all the time. 
And then we even think about perfect peace. You know, we live in a world that's very chaotic. Some of our lives are also very chaotic, so we can't really imagine what it would look like to have perfect peace, perfect joy, or perfect justice in our world. And so for a moment, just think about kind of what your hopes are in this life. You know, some of you named them earlier. Some of you probably didn't want to say them, but they're, they're in your mind. They're deep in your heart. The hopes that you have for your own life or the hopes you have for this world. Now, if you think about it long enough, I think you'll quickly realize that a lot of those hopes that you have can't really be met by things that are in this world. There's, it's got to be met by someone that is beyond that, that is above us, namely Jesus. And so Jesus should be our only hope. But then you might ask, the next question might be, is how, how can we be so sure that Jesus can be our hope? Why are we so certain that we can count on Jesus for anything in our lives? You see, when we, we talk about hope in the Christian sense of hope, so it's not wishful thinking. Christian hope is built on something solid, something unmovable, something unshakable. And that is on Jesus himself. And again, how, how can we be so confident about that? Because we look throughout the Bible and we have a picture of a God who is dependable. We have a picture of a God who is trustworthy. We can count on him because everything that God has ever promised has actually come to pass. You know, you look at Abraham and God promised Abraham, you know, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make you a great name. I'm going to give you children and give you descendants. Uh, and that happened. He had two sons. Then we move on to Jesus. You know, there was this, this, this promise of a Messiah throughout the whole Bible that was going to come. And that was fulfilled in Jesus. So everything that God has ever said was going to pass or going to happen actually happened. And so we can look at his character and know that he's dependable. Know that he's trustworthy. Know that we can count on him for anything in this life. And so because we can be trusted, we can take him at his word. That if Jesus is going to come back again, Jesus is going to come back again. We can take him at his word that if he says that we're going to be with him forever and forever, that we're going to be with him forever and forever. Or if we look at our own lives and we look at the chaos of our lives and he promises peace, we can have that peace because he tells us you can have it in your life. And so this hope that we have in Jesus is not just for the future, but it's also hope that we can have right now, right now in the present time. But it all depends on what your, your faith or what your hope is actually going to be built on. Now you look at Matthew 7, 24 through 27, and this is Jesus uh, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He says to his disciples, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And so what he's giving us a picture of is a life built on Jesus and built on Jesus' teachings. And he's also giving us a life that is built on the world, built on the values of this world, built on whatever else you can think of of this world. Now you look at the first life, and that first life is unmovable. It's unshakable. So a hope built on Jesus, again, is unmovable, unshakable. 
But then you look at a life that's built on, you know, just our world, trusting in the things of this world. You'll find that a lot of those things are easily moved. So meaning when a crisis comes your way, you begin to question your faith or you begin to question if you're actually really following God in the first place because it's all dependent on whether or not you're doing good enough or it's dependent on how much money you're giving or how many times you're praying or whatever else. And so this, this hope that we have has to be built on a person, not a thing, not some other idea, but on Jesus himself. And now I think this kind of hope that he asks us to have, uh, I think it, it might be easier said than done. Because right now, we're actually in a time of waiting for Jesus to actually come back to this earth. Now, because we're still waiting, life still goes on. Bad things are still happening in this world. You may still be having trouble paying certain bills. You may not be sure of where your business is going to go, if you're going to get any more clients, or whether or not you get into a certain school program or whatever else. All that is still happening in our world. And so we are in this time of waiting for Jesus to come back. Now, Jesus said over 2000, about 2000 years ago that he was coming back soon. Now, soon is a, is a long, that, that seems like a long time frame. I like to tell people when they say, you know, here, you're going to get this done. Yeah, I'll get it done soon. And so I have a 2000 year uh, sort of gap between when I say I'm going to do it and when I'm actually going to do it. Um, and so Jesus tells us that he is coming back soon. But again, we're, we're reserved to waiting, waiting in anticipation for him to actually come back. And now it's, there's, there's a few things that the Bible talks to us about that tells us what we should do in, in this time of waiting. The very first thing he says is to be ready for him to come back, for Jesus to return. It says in Titus 2, uh, verse 11 through 13, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so he's telling us to say no to uh, impure lives, to say no to what our culture wants us to do, how our world wants us to live. And instead, to say yes to whatever God wants us to do, to live our lives according to how God wants us to live them. And this is kind of that sanctification stuff that we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago, where we allow God to work inside of us through the, the power of his Holy Spirit to change our hearts, to change our minds, so that how we live our lives is exactly how Jesus would live his life as well. And so that's the first thing. He says to be ready. Then, if you are, call yourself a follower of Jesus, it tells us to finish Jesus' mission, to carry on the mission of Jesus, to spread the gospel into the entire world. So again, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, he says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Then in Acts 1.8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, your main goal in life should be to reaching lost people for God. 
sharing the love of Jesus, sharing how much Jesus loves and cares for every single person on this world. People who may not be interested in following Jesus, people who are skeptical of following Jesus. Our goal is to share that love or to share the love of Christ with as many people as possible. Now, another way to look at this is, is there's, a, there's a big term that we like to use is being called missional or being missionaries wherever you're at. So meaning if you're at the bank, you have an opportunity to talk to the teller. You're at the grocery store. You have an opportunity to talk whoever's bag, bagging your groceries or whoever's checking you out. Um, and now when I say you share with them, like it doesn't necessarily mean you have to, to share the entire gospel with them, but just being Jesus to them. You know, you see the person ahead of you in the grocery line who, who is very irate, who's very angry with, the, you know, maybe the coupon didn't scan or something. Maybe you come up and say, you know, I'm sorry for what that person did to you. I'm, I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry people are like that. And so there are other ways, various ways in which we can share the love of Jesus with a lot of people without explicitly sharing the gospel with people that we know. And so these are two things that he tells us to do, to be ready and to finish Jesus's mission. And so well, we, we come to the conclusion of all of this, you know, Jesus said he's coming back again. Jesus said he's coming back and he's going to be our king. And so we wait in hopeful anticipation of when that time is actually going to come. You know, because when that time comes, it's gonna, he's going to bring some good out of everything wrong that has happened in our world. He's going to restore our world Completely, He's going to reign forever and forever. He's going to wipe away every tear, every pain. And he's going to wipe away death completely on this earth. And so that's something that we can actually hope for. That's something that we should be waiting for in anticipation for Jesus to actually come back. And so the bottom line is Jesus needs to be our hope. He should be our hope. You know, even in the good times, he is our hope. But even in the bad times, whenever life is chaotic, when life isn't going your way, it's good to have hope that is firm, that is unmovable, that is unshakable. And the only person that you can find that kind of hope in is in Jesus himself.